Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, good morning. Welcome to Island Conversations. Sundays we're on the radio on the big island of Hawaii on KWXX and B93B97. And the interviews rebroadcast the following Fridays on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. And you may always get Island Conversations as a podcast wherever you get podcasts or at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. One of two contested Hawaii County Council District seats in this upcoming election is Council District 1, which is a slice of Waimea and all the way down the Hamakua Coast to the Singing Bridge. The incumbent, Valerie Poindexter, has served the community for eight years and has now term limited out. There are two candidates running in the general election, Dominic Yagong and Heather Kimball. Today we are talking with Heather Kimball, and next week we will talk with Dominic Yagong. For those who are not in District 1, remember that whoever is elected will have an influence on the future of the county because the entire county council is responsible for legislation, approving the budget, and more. Aloha. Welcome, Heather Kimball. Good morning, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me today. Heather, in your bio you sent me, you said you live with your husband and daughters in Papaiko. You're a teacher, mentor, small business owner, and a paddler with two decades of professional experience in research, teaching, and leadership in both the public and private sectors. Heather is also an active community volunteer, serving as the chair of the Hawaii County Democratic Party on the Hawaii County Board of Appeals and on the boards of several local community-based organizations. Heather, tell us a little more about yourself, about your upbringing, your schooling, other things that you've done in your actual work. Sure. Well, my most important job, of course, is being a mom. I have four daughters of my own, and we have a Hanai daughter that's been living with us for the last five years. My two oldest have already grown up and sadly moved away, as many of our kids here do, and then I have two 16-year-olds at home and a 14-year-old. I was born and raised in Michigan, went to school there at the University of Michigan and got a degree in biology, and then have gradually moved west. I lived and worked in Utah for a little while and then in California and ultimately came out here. We came out, you know, on a vacation and I took one step off the plane and just took a breath of the air and went, you know, this is home. Like there was that really overwhelming chicken skin feeling that this is where I was meant to be. We developed a plan to come out here in three years and, and ended up coming out in three months. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a whirlwind, crazy situation. So I, I've done different things in my career. Like I said, I have a degree in biology, so I started out working for Myriad Genetics. That's what I was in Utah for. They're the company that developed the breast cancer test, the genetic test. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So I was in the clinical trial phase of that. And then from there, I went to Lawrence Berkeley National Lab to work on the Human Genome Project. As part of that job, I got involved in big data science, and I built the database that was used to track all of the samples through the system for our three chromosomes that our facility was responsible for. 
after that, I took some time off to raise my kids and found, as many women do, when you take time off for family, the on-ramp back to your career has somehow has, has disappeared. And so I ended up going back and getting a master's degree here at UH Hilo in um, environmental science and conservation biology. And one thing led to another, but ultimately that led to a career in politics or an interest in, in politics and how we make decisions and, and how we do land management on our island. How long have you been here on the island, Heather Kimball? We've been here 16 years. Oh, pretty yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, we've All been right. here for a while. So the Hamakua District is pretty large, the council district one. What are some of the biggest issues that you think need to be tackled if you become the county council representative? The district is geographically large, but it's also large in terms of the diversity. The challenges that exist in the southern end, closer to Hilo, are very different than those that exist in the northern part. For the northern part right now, you know, we're looking at a huge percentage of the population that has lost their jobs due to COVID, in some places as much as 40%. So our biggest challenge there, in addition to just continuing to protect health and safety of our residents, is finding safe ways for people to get back to work. You know, I think we really need to take a three-tiered approach. The first is, you know, for people who loved what they did, but they lost their jobs, like how do we get them back into something that's a similar career? Like, uh, for example, I lost my teaching job. The university didn't have enough enrollment for me to teach this next semester. I'm very disappointed. I love that job. So how do we get people that really enjoyed what they were doing back into their jobs. Then there's the second tier, which is who wants to retrain? Who wants to do something different? You know, we've seen that COVID has really changed the landscapes for different types of employment and different necessities. And there's other things that we need to do. One of the great examples that I like is HCC's proposed program to train people to do septic tank replacements. It's a double win. People get new training, they get reliable jobs, and then we also deal with the cesspool issue. That's a big issue for It is a very big issue, especially with the time limit to get all of those replaced. The third thing that I think we need to look at is we've really seen people step up in their communities to help out under COVID, and some of them are relying on other skills that they had, hobbies, and, and how do we turn those care services, that volunteer work, also into paid work. I think those are the three avenues that we need to look at when we're looking at employment. Other issues in the district include waste management, and I'm I'm sure you've been following the story of Va'okala. We have Huhonua, and just generally like how we're going to develop, how we're going to grow, but still keep the rural character. I, I think that the one thing that is consistent across the whole district is everybody wants to maintain the character of the area. Well, and that's really something on this island. We are very fortunate to have a lot of rural areas Mm -hmm. that are very special areas, and I don't think anybody wants to see that go away. Now, you mentioned Huhonua, the Mm bioenergy plant that is intending to take all those eucalyptus trees that are owned by Kamehameha Schools and turn them into energy power that would be sold to Hawaiian Electric. But there's some controversy around that. Mm -hmm. So tell us what you think needs to happen there, because at this point, things are sort of in a state of limbo. They are. I mean, the 
Public Utilities Commission made the decision and then subsequently upheld it that the cost of the power that would be coming out of that plant was not in the best interest of the ratepayers. And so they denied them the opportunity to competitively bid. That is going to go to court, who Honua has filed suit to oppose the PUC's ruling. Personally, I think the issue is the length of the contract. So it's a 30-year contract, an electric rate that is higher per kilowatt hour than many of the other options we have out there, whether it's solar, whether it's geothermal. And so locking our residents into a 30-year contract at this higher rate, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate for the folks that work here. Like, I feel for them. There's families that are going to suffer if that plant doesn't open. But there's also all those other jobs that would be affected by businesses having to pay that higher rate over 30 years. Is a 30-year contract rate fairly standard for an independent power producer just because of the capital investment that has to be made? Yeah, it is pretty typical. But in this case, there's other factors too. There is the eucalyptus. You know, there isn't a clear plan, as far as I'm aware, in terms of how to harvest them, at what rate they'll regrow. Um, One of the things is that the the species of eucalyptus, the variety, um, eucalyptus grandis, um, there's a pathogen that has moved in, which may impair the ability of those trees to just regrow, which I think is the plan at this point is that they would be harvested and then restock. So there's lots of challenges with that. I know a lot of the folks up there in Laupahoehoe in that area, they want to see those eucalyptus gone. It's prime ag land. It's some of the best ag land in the state. It's been unusable for 20 years. The question is, how do we get rid of it? Um, access is not great. At some point here soon, some of those trees, particularly near the highway, are going to become a hazard. And so, you know, whoever's council person for this district is going to have to work with KS to figure Kamehameha out. Kamehameha Schools? Yes, yeah, sorry. Because they're, the, they're the owner of they all are. of the tracks of, yeah. of trees. Yeah, not all of them, but yeah, there's going to have to be a partnership there to figure this out. The older the trees are, the longer they're in the ground, the more difficult it is to remove them. You mentioned the price issue, and I mm-hmm. think that the price involved was 22 cents per kilowatt hour. And I know, I think the PUC wants to see a price 20 cents or below. Am I right mm-hmm. about that? I don't know what the target is right now. I know that those two new solar projects that were permitted are like eight to nine cents. Geothermal can be done for as little as six cents. That's not the ultimate rate that gets delivered to the consumer, of course, but. We have all of these other cost-effective options, and now that battery storage is becoming so much more cheap, more cost-effective and reliable, the cost really matters, and and it's going to continue to go down for solar and some of these other ones. The important thing from from my perspective is that that Hawaiian Electric says that we can still accomplish our 2045 renewable target, even if Huhonua doesn't become operational. In the PBS Insights Mayor Forum that Mm -hmm. was on September 3rd, one of the candidates, Mr. Ikaika Marzo, suggested that one better use of Huhonua bioenergy plant would be to turn it into a waste-to-energy plant. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned waste management as an issue, which Mm -hmm. is really an issue for the whole island. Understanding that it is probably technically feasible if there were a retooling of the plant and there's a lot of other factors. What would you think about that idea as a use for Huhonua? 
I think that it makes sense to try to find some repurposed use for that facility. I mean, there has been a significant investment there. I'm sure a lot of the equipment is highly specialized, but there probably is market for it elsewhere. I'm not inherently opposed to a waste-to-energy idea. In fact, I think that the biggest challenge with waste-to-energy, and we've seen that here, is you got to feed the beast. So if you build the plant, you've got to continually produce the waste to feed it. And I think most of us that that are concerned about good waste management are more interested in reduction first, in reduction of the production of waste. And so if we're doing any kind of waste to energy, one, it's got to be clean. It's not going to affect the, it's got to not affect water usage and things like that. But it also has to be at a scale where we are actually having to produce waste to keep it running. You know, it's reduce, reuse, recycle in that order. And I would also add rethink, like let's rethink about how we purchase things as consumers and making sure that, you know, we don't need to buy six individual yogurt containers. We buy a big one and then we put it in our own little plastic container. Let's rethink that, reduce our waste production. Some legislation, of course, reducing single-use plastics is something that I will work for as a council member. And then looking at how we can reuse and repurpose items before they make their way to the landfill. And then, of course, answering the recycling question. I mean, that is that is huge for a lot of folks in our community. The fact that they've been collecting up plastics and waiting for some place to take them, that's something we're going to have to address. Yeah, it was really unfortunate when everybody else in the world that took recycled plastics stopped. Mm-hmm. However, I just heard that there is actually a new business at the Natural Energy Lab on the Kona side of the island that is going to be able to take plastics and turn it into reusable products. And I don't know anything more about it other than what I've just told you, but that's something I definitely want to find out more about. That would be fabulous. I mean, one of the things about the recycling pipeline is that the quality of the recycling process is much better the shorter it is. So if we are taking the recyclables here and doing something with them here, not only are we creating jobs, we're protecting the environment, but we're producing a higher quality product. And there's definitely use and need for recycled materials here for all sorts of things. And that would be good. It to, would be good. You know, I still separate out all my stuff. It's a little depressing But we still have cardboard and glass that we can actually recycle, so that's a good thing. Well, I I understand that there may be issues with recycling the cardboard, so you might want to be tearing it up and putting it in your garden and using it as mulch for the time being, (laughs) sadly. What's the problem with it? Because the county is still collecting it. It's still collecting it, but I'm not sure it's getting taken anywhere to be used. Thank you for telling me that. I will definitely (laughs) explore that a little bit. Real quick on the whole subject of waste to energy, I know that Oahu very effectively does that. They have the H-Power plant, but one thing they're running into, even on Oahu, which is a huge population compared to us, they don't have enough garbage. That's a problem. That was one of the unusual side effects of COVID and people doing more stuff at home and not buying as much. They didn't have enough waste coming into that facility. So if we're going to do any kind of waste to energy, and they have the technology to do as small as a ton a day, which a ton sounds like a lot, but if you think about the capacity of our that's not very much. If we had small scale facilities that were clean, that didn't produce any emissions, that were safe for the environment, I think that's an opportunity for us. 
And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Today we are talking with Heather Kimball. She is a candidate for Hawaii County Council District 1. That's a little slice of Waimea down the Hamakoa Coast to the Singing Bridge. Next week, we're going to be talking with the other candidate for that council district, Dominic Higong. You may find Island Conversations as a podcast wherever you get podcasts or at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. We are on election time, so you will also find at that site interviews I've recorded with the two mayor candidates, also the candidates for County Council District 5 in Puna, and also a discussion with members of the League of Women Voters about the charter amendments. Before we get back to Heather Kimball, a word from our sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. During bad economies, it's very common for government entities to use capital improvement dollars to sort of jumpstart things with construction projects or Mm -hmm. infrastructure projects. What do you know about that for the district for which you would be the representative if you win this upcoming election? There are several capital improvement projects that are necessary in our district. If you're familiar with our area, we have several of the old plantation gymnasiums that need at the very minimum ADA compliance upgrades, but most of them need new roofs, new flooring, pavement resurfacing. We have the two pools, the Honoka'a pool, the Laupahoehoe pool, and then of course we are the district with the most bridges, and many of them over roads that are the roads in limbo. I just air quoted everybody, the roads in limbo that the jurisdiction is unclear. So Now, is the jurisdiction been made clear? I was under the impression, and then roads in limbo, yes. why don't you define roads in limbo so people know what it is? Right. So there are all of the former plantation roads that exist. For a long time, it was unclear about who had ownership and responsibility. Was it private? Was it linked to particular TMKs? Was it the responsibility of, of the county? Or the state? Or the state. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so for many of them, their ownership has been resolved. One of the challenges is that there are community groups, neighborhoods that are willing to do some resurfacing work, you know, pool their money together to hire somebody to come in and do it or repair their bridges. But in many cases, they need to do a lot of regulatory things in order to undergo that process, including getting like a environmental assessment and, and whatnot, that it becomes highly expensive for these community groups to do that. So one of the things that moving forward I would do would be to look at some ways that we can get around that. I'm not talking about taking any shortcuts with respect to the environment, but just making sure that we can enable these community groups to take action in in some of their own communities to protect our resources. Well, once the roads were, let me say, brought up to standard, what would the next step be? The main thing I think for our area is that 
we have all of these little communities and they're all connected by the highway and the highway has all of these bridges. And if I'm going to bring in climate change, which is extremely uh, important to me as an issue, we expect more frequent and violent storms. And that's always going to be a risk in an area that has all of these bridges and areas that can get washed out. So I think the priority really with respect to roadways is making sure that each community has some sort of egress, whether it's you know using the old Mamalohoa Highway or some of these old plantation roads. The main thing is talking about the role of government. The main thing from my perspective is always to protect health and safety. I mean, that is the number one job. And so making sure there's always a way to get out of any of these neighborhoods is critical. Would the neighborhoods then continue maintaining those roads once they bring them up to a better standard? Mm. It be- certainly becomes easier once they're in good shape. It does. Yeah, yeah. And I, and so I think we need to look for opportunities to have some you know memorandums of understanding or friends of the road agreements. We have friends of the park, right? Some sort of an agreement between the county and the community. I think this is something that we're looking at generally is we have community groups that are willing to help and take action and lead things. How do we better enable that process as a county government? There certainly is a fear around liability, and there has to be that sort of custody of the facility that is maintained with the county. But we need to do a better job with really supporting community groups and they're wanting to to take care of their own areas. We have people that are interested in taking care of the Honoka'a pool and the Laupahoehoe pool and the, you know, the Papaloa gym. There are community groups that are ready to get out there. We have to find a, a better pathway to make, to enable that. Well, the county does have friends of the yeah. park mm-hmm. kind of agreements. If there are people who are willing, why has the county not gone forward in accepting that help? I think it's one of a fear of litigation and a fear of liability. And so that's part of what we need to work on is protecting. I certainly understand that we need to protect the taxpayers funds, right? They want to maintain facility control, also important. There's two sides of this when we're, we're talking about supporting communities that want to be engaged. There also has to be like this continual Uh, support and sort of a way to continue engagement. So you have situations where people are really gung-ho and excited to work on a project and they're all ready to, you know, roll up their sleeves and get to work. But then there's that maintenance, right? And it has to be done over years and years and years. So how do you keep that community engaged? There's responsibility on both sides. There's responsibility from the county government to make these opportunities available. But there's also responsibility from the communities to show how they're going to continually uphold their end of the bargain over time. I think that's one of the reasons why we don't see more, um, you know, food production in parks. Everybody would love that, right, to use some of these great areas to have more local food production. But one of the worst things you can do is plan a bunch of agricultural projects and then walk away. I mean, it just invites pests that then spread to our commercial growers. So, you know, if we're going to allow that, which I think would be great, we need to make sure that these Friends of the Park agreements have this sort of maintenance cycle, this understanding that this is a continuous commitment built into it. What other issues do you want to tackle if you become the county council member for District 1, Heather Kimball? 
Oh, there's so much. <laughs> you know, I, I think with COVID, obviously, protecting health and safety, first priority, making sure all of our first responders have adequate supplies of PPE. We're doing contact tracing well. We're making sure that people coming in are quarantined and following the rules with respect to that. I've talked a little bit already about job creation. You know, we need to get people safely back to work. That's going to be a long, ongoing process. The latest from DBED is that we won't see tourism levels at the same level we had prior to COVID until 2023. At least. At least. And then there's even the question, well, do we want that, right? And I think one of the things that has happened that's a positive in this crisis is it's given everybody a chance to reflect and say, okay, what economy do we really want to have? We know putting all our eggs in the tourism basket was extremely vulnerable. This is the third time the rug has been pulled out from under us. I think at this time, everybody says diversify economy, right? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we make that happen? What's a viable economy here? There's all of those questions and a lot of great people, I have to say, thinking about that right now. So protecting health and safety, getting people back to work. Then there's the issues that were like the priorities for me prior to COVID, addressing the affordable housing issue. By 2024, we're projected to be at least 13,000 or more below in the number of housing units than what we need. That's a priority. I'm looking at mass transit. Uh, you're smiling and nodding your head. Mass transit is huge for our island, being a relatively small population base in a big geography. The best thing that you can do to improve economic outcomes for an area is support mass transit, to invest in more mass transit. Getting people to school, getting people to work, getting people to their doctors in a reliable way. The thing is, it takes investment. You have to put money into it so that people know, hey, if I'm going to take the bus to work, it'll be there when I need it to be there, and it'll get there by the time I need it to get there. And if there is a good mass transit system, it keeps a number of cars off the road, which exactly addresses an issue that has really become an issue during the biggest tourism times. Mm-hmm. I've talked to several people in the tourism industry, and a lot of tourists would like a better mass transit system so they don't have to have a car mm-hmm. and still get places. You know, the issues you bring up are absolutely real issues, especially the economy. How do we keep people afloat and alive while the economy is in the doldrums that it is, and it will be for a while? What are mm-hmm. we going to do about that? Well, I mean, first, we have to get that CARES funding out. We were given money, and now granted, it's got constraints about how it may be used. But the last report that I saw was that only 8% of it had been doled out. Um, That money is for people now that are suffering. And I will tell you, I've been on the ground. I've been out there delivering meals, taking care of our community. And it's very sad. This is very real. We cannot be sitting on our hands when there is real suffering going on in our community. So that's the key thing, getting that CARES money out there. Another area that is growing is looking at these resilience hubs around the island to fill some of the gaps that we have, particularly around instruction for our kids, education for our kids, and connectivity. Yeah. (laughs) Well, connectivity is really bad in a lot of areas on the island. Mm Mm-hmm. 
what's your thinking about how we improve that? And when we say connectivity, I'm talking about the basic ability to get good internet service yes. at home yeah. or wireless service. Talking on the phone is one thing, but we are all learning and working online now. So what is your thought about that? Yeah, we're seeing with COVID a real shift to working online and going to school online. And I see that as something that's not going to shift back really in any great way. We have huge gaps in coverage for connectivity across the island. For me, I think the key, we want to have a fiber broadband backbone. I think that's really critical. It's best for our geography to have that. And then then we look at spurs out from that using other technologies. It's an economic justice issue. It's a social justice issue to make sure that we have connectivity available for everybody. And I've been participating in discussions with the broadband hui through the state and learning a lot. This is a new area for me. I don't know a ton about it. But there's a lot of things that are being done in similar sized jurisdictions that have the same rural challenges that we do that I think we could implement and adopt here. Who would pay for the fiber backbone? Well, at this point, a lot of the um, money to do this is coming through the feds. Hawaiian Telecom has been putting quite a bit of fiber service available out there through the Rural Connectivity Act. I don't remember the exact acronym for it, but that's all coming from the feds. And going back to your statement about how governments usually invest in infrastructure in times like this to get us out of recession, one of the things that I want to make sure that we're ready for, primed for as a county, is to go after those federal funds. It's not just important to go after them, but to be able to do the mandated reporting that is also associated with a lot of grant funding. That's been a barrier for us. We've left a lot of money on the table again and again and again because we haven't had that dedicated um, go after money and, and report it. I would like to have a grant writer position, grant manager position within the county. That would be one of the things that I'd like to see in my first couple of terms. But if I'm thinking about a role that I see for myself in the county council, I want to be the money person. I want to be the person that goes and finds money for us (laughs) because it's out there, especially around renewable energy and resilience and developing resilience. We just need to have the skill set to go after those funds. Heather Kimball, what makes you a better candidate than your opponent, Dominic Higong? Um, Well, we're both very good looking, so I don't think it's that. Um, no, I think it really comes down to style and approach. I'm I'm a very collaborative person, so I'm always going to go out there and seek ways to build alliances, to bring people together, to bring coalitions together to support things. I'm also... With the scientific background, extremely data-driven. So my decision-making is not based on gut feeling. It's all based on what information that I bring in from a subject. And in this day where there's a lot of misinformation out there and, and just outright false information, it's really important to be able to distinguish good data sources and bad data sources. I'm a pragmatist. Um, I think that comes from being a mom with five teenage girls at home. You learn how to juggle a lot of crises at once and multitask, and you also just learn how to be efficient. There's a lot to balance, and that's how it is in the council. Is There's a lot to know about, to make decisions about, And at the end of the day, we want to do what's best for the taxpayers that uses their money well. We want to be transparent about it, and we want to be protecting the health and safety of our residents. Heather Kimball, candidate for Council District 1, thank you so much for your time. Aloha. Thank you so much, Sherry. It's been fun. 
And to our listeners, we couldn't do this without you. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Until the next Island Conversations, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.